0: All right, 1 John chapter 4, as we continue to work our way through the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 down to uh, 21, we're going to finish up the chapter today. I'm going to title it, The Evidence of Godly Love, Evidence of Godly Love, and the evidence is uh, our love for one another as believers and an absence of fear when, when facing God. That's kind of where we're headed, just so you know ahead of time. 1 John chapter four, look at verse uh, seventeen. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say I love God and hateth his brother, He is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Now there are three words uh, that we never get tired of hearing somebody say to us, and those words are, I love you. Now, no doubt we've spoken those words many times in our lives, and hopefully we have been sincere when we have said those words, at least maybe most of the time, right? I do fear, though, that there are times when those words are, are, are empty. We may have spoken the words, I love you, and not really, not really meant them. Um, speaking of our love is one thing. That, that's easy. Actually showing that love through our action, though, is quite another there can be no doubt concerning the love that god has for us the that that's irrefutable his great love was displayed really for the whole world to see as christ hung on the cross Uh, now we've discussed god being the source of our love and 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 the need for that right relationship with christ uh, to experience god's love Uh, remember that, that 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 god's love is 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 boundless But unconditional love and unconditional acceptance are not the same thing. God loves you unconditionally, but he does not unconditionally accept you. You must go through Christ to be accepted by God. That's the only way around it. Our passage deals with with how love affects us and the way that we are to express that love to one another. Those who possess God's love... Uh, will reveal that love through the way they live, through their lifestyle. They can't not express God's love, unless, of course, the Holy Spirit isn't powerful enough to work in you, which is unlikely, right? I want to consider the attributes of this great love. We're going to think on this, the evidence of godly love. Look at verse 17 again. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Now herein is our love made perfect or, or perfected and that means that uh, we have to go up to verse 16 and that is God dwelling in us our dwelling in God that is the herein that or or that is how our love is made perfect and that is made perfect it's it has been made perfect or it's been made complete and it exists in that completed or or finished state. This represents the past fact in the saint's life that, that still carries a present reality. This is not, though, God's love for us or, his, or our, our love for him, but, but it's the love that God is in his nature. It's produced in us by the Holy Spirit, who we have already heard is indwelling us. And this boldness means confidence. See, John. John has several main themes through his, this, this this little letter he's writing. Boldness or confidence is one of them. Uh, here, particularly, it's boldness or confidence at Jesus's second coming, which he talked about in chapter two, verse twenty-eight. At this point in his argument, he has spoken of boldness in prayer in chapter three, verse twenty-one and twenty-two. But now he's going a step further. See, loving Christians can even have boldness, confidence at the judgment seat of Christ when the Lord returns. Now the reason for this is is because that, that fullness of love results in a life that is completely devoted to Jesus Christ. The word boldness means unreservedness of speech, a free and fearless confidence with nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of. This assurance is not, it's not presumption, though. It's because it says, as he is, so are we in the world. So, so the ground, the reason for our boldness is our present likeness to Christ in this life, particularly according to this context, us being like Christ in the way that we love one another. Now experiencing and possessing the love of God has some very positive impacts on our lives on the entirety of our lives i want you to notice first of all love's maturity in the first part of verse 17 herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment See, we experience the love of God the moment we get saved. But as we grow in him, that love begins to mature. It's made perfect or complete or, or, or it, it finishes, the, it, it finishes the, the, the task that it was set out to do. The believer better understands this great love that God has for them as they grow in this love and they get to know God better we know that he is love and we dwell in that love now through his love we enjoy peace and through his love we enjoy rest in this life right now his love enables us to rise above the struggles and pains of life because God loves me and I know he loves me and I have experienced his love for me what in this life can I not face right we might render this verse in this respect love is made complete with us namely that we should have boldness in the day of judgment now john's not referring to the final judgment in which the eternal destiny of each believer hangs in the balance because there's no such judgment for a believer not like that But a believer's life will be assessed at the judgment seat of Christ. Let me tell you the difference. There are two judgments in scripture. There's the great white throne judgment and there's the judgment seat of Christ. I want to kind of make sure you understand the difference here. The great white throne judgment is where sinners who have never received Christ as their savior and are still already condemned in their sins receive the sentence for their crimes that's eternity in the lake of fire that's hell they're not judged in the sense of seeing how bad they are john chapter 3 verse 18 says that they're already condemned they're already doomed so uh, they've already been found guilty it's just the penalty for their crimes against the holy lord god are being declared and then they're being carried out. That's a great white throne judgment. That's for sinners who have never been saved. A Christian will never face the great white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ, that's for believers. That's for us. This is where the saint's performance as a saint, for lack of a better word, is scored, all right? Uh, It is not a question of whether or not the person is saved. That's determined before death, all right? Uh, so there is no sins to be paid for at the judgment seat of Christ because they all paid for in Christ. Think of it this way. Think of the Olympics. Think of an ice skater and he's out there on the ice during his time doing his routine. The skater is not being judged on whether or not they are a skater, right? But they're being judged on how well they skate. Their skaterness was determined long before they ever hit the ice in front of the judges so that is for the believer then what the judgment seat of christ will be it's going to be a place of reward for how you live the christian life not whether you're saved or not if you if if you were never saved you get the great white throne judgment where you will be cast into hell for your sin the judgment seat of christ is for us believers and it's it's a place of reward it's a place of scoring and what John offers is an interesting aspect of this love and how it ties in with the judgment seat of Christ that our loving the way God wants us to love we can look forward to that judgment seat that time of scoring we can look forward to that with boldness now that doesn't mean arrogance or pride but it means faith and and assurance God's love was proven as Christ bore our sins. We are now made acceptable to God in Christ and we no longer have to fear standing before God in judgment. It's easy to see how my perspective of the future can change through my relationship with Christ. A believer may have confidence that God will approve of the quality of his life Through love that that believer exhibited while in the world, because that believer is becoming like Christ. See, an unloving Christian is unlike Christ. An unloving Christian is an aberration, it's a fluke. And if you are an unloving Christian, then you should anticipate some rebuke at the judgment seat of Christ. You should expect some lack of reward at the judgment seat of Christ. But a loving believer is one in whom the work of God's love has been made complete, and the fruit of that is boldness before Christ. Look at love's motivation, the next part of verse 17, because as he is, so are we in the world. That that because means that the ground of our confidence is because even as Christ he is, so are we in the world. Uh, he will not in that day condemn those who are like him christ is righteous and he is love itself and 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 so as he is so are we but we're down here in the world and he is up in heaven in christ we realize that we are no longer under the penalty and the power of sin. We've been pardoned in Christ, forgiven of our sins, our debt being paid in full, and as God views us, he sees us as he sees his son. We haven't made it to heaven yet, but we are viewed as righteous as Christ is righteous. See, Matthew Henry said, love hath conformed us to him that means his love for us working in us to make us loving people has made us like our Jesus and this love teaches us to conform to Christ in every area of our life whether it's suffering or loving if it's suffering we suffer for him and with him because of the love that he produced in us by the Holy Spirit you know, there's an aspect of John's teaching here that, that that we really really need not to miss as Christ was in the world so are we expected to be in the world now that doesn't imply that we'll achieve all the perfections he had or possess the ability to love as he loved but we are to strive for that we are to be that our lives are to be a representation of christ in every way including our love for one another and over and over again in this book we have seen how god wants us because of our relationship with him through christ he wants us to be first and foremost lovers of each other we are here to maintain that consistent witness for christ by our love for one another see Matthew Henry also says happy they See Matthew Henry wrote way back in the 1800s so he wrote kind of weird but happy they who shall have holy fiducial boldness before the judge at that day who shall be able to lift up their heads and to look him in the face as knowing he is their friend and advocate happy they who have holy boldness and assurance in the prospect of that day, who look and wait for it and for the judge's appearance, so do and so may do the lovers of God. When we love as God wants us to love, we we have no reason to fear facing God. Look at verse 18. We see courage in love. It says, there is no fear in love. A perfect love casteth, casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. If a believer looks forward with trepidation to the judgment seat of Christ, it is because God's love has not yet reached that, that completeness in him. The words perfect are from the idea, again, of of complete, whole, accomplishing the purpose. So the matured experience of God's love, which is reached by you loving one another, is incompatible with fear, and it expels fear. It expels the fear of facing God. Now think about that for a minute. You do not have to be afraid to face Christ. You do not have to be afraid. You do not have to fear standing before God. It says in the first part of verse 18, there is no fear in love. And this fear is a slavish fear, like a slave of, of, of a master or, or a criminal before a judge. Fear has punishment. That's that's what that means. Fear carries with it a kind of torment that is is really kind of its own own punishment. Um, ironically, an unbelieving, uh, unloving believer, I mean, experiences punishment because of the guilt they feel and of the fear they experience, and thinking, "Man, I am not ready to meet Christ right now." Godly fear of offending God is completely different from this slavish fear of knowing consciously that you deserve to be punished. So we know that God's love conquers all. And while living in sin apart from God before we were saved our lives were dominated by fear we were unsure of our future we were concerned with our health and worried about ensuring our financial stability Uh, but genuine love allows us to to rest from the fears of this life the love of God has removed even the fear of facing him now I don't claim to never worry but but I have no reason to worry. God has secured my eternal future. I have no way of knowing what life is going to bring, but I am secure in Christ no matter what it is. If he decides to call me home, I'll just wake up in his presence. He's already met every need I've ever had. There's no reason to fear he's going to stop now. You know, often we will withhold love from people because we, we want something in return. We want to ensure a, kind of the right return on our investment. That's, that's not love. God's love allows us to love others sacrificially he allows us to love others without fear and our love is not dependent upon what we receive in return or what we're afraid to lose we love others as God loved us we love others because God loved us so a Christian who loves has nothing to fear either from this life or in facing God so so they escape that inner torment which is Really what the failure of love brings. The design of Christ's propitiatory death was to deliver us from the bondage of fear. Whether it's fear in this life or fear of facing God. Imagine how much peace and joy you could live with if right now there was no fear of facing God that there was nothing to say man I wish I had done this oh I'm not ready to face him because I'm not right with this person oh I'm I'm not ready to go yet because there's so much I wanted to do for him I should have read my bible more I should have witnessed more no all of that is gone in Christ you do not have to fear facing him And if that doesn't bring you peace, if that doesn't bring you joy to know that there's nothing to be afraid of when you die, then you don't get it. You haven't gotten it. Perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. See, the love of God is a powerful thing. It rises above fear and it enables us to cast that fear aside. We no longer live in fear of the future or in fear of seeing God face to face. Fear is always revolving in the mind the punishment deserved. Right? When you know you've done something wrong, uh, we talked about this in Sunday school, when you know that you've done something wrong, the anticipation of the punishment is often worse than the punishment right well fear causes those things just to go on and go on and go on in your head and you've lost your peace and you've lost your joy see our lives should not be dictated by our situations it shouldn't be (coughs) dictated by our circumstances but by the love of god and many live their lives driven by emotion, driven driven by circumstances. They tend to respond to others relative to how they were treated, and God provides the courage to open up and to love as he loves, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how you were or were not treated. See John declares that fear brings torment and you cannot enjoy peace and rest while living in fear of what's going to happen in this life or living in fear of facing God. Fear creates anxiety and doubt and panic and worry and these are signs of weakness. They're not signs of mature love. God's love always allows us to rest completely solely in him loving others as he loves and leaving the situations and conclusions in god's hands mature love brings abundant peace mature love brings abundant courage now let's make sure we understand this the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom That's not the fear we're talking about here. There is a fear of being afraid of God, which rises out of a sense of guilt. And uh, as one commentary says, in a view of his vindictive flawlessness, in the view of them, God is represented as a consuming fire. And so fear here may be rendered as dread. So let me ask you, do you dread facing God? If you are in Christ, you are secure in him. There is no reason to fear or dread facing God unless you do not know Christ as Savior, unless you are not loving as God says love. Verse 18 goes on says, He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So we can say that where fear exists, love is lacking. There could be the application for those who made a profession of faith and lack the genuine saving faith. Uh, many today are religious but not confident of their salvation. Those who belong to Christ do not fear his coming. Those who belong to Christ do not fear standing before him at the judgment seat. I'm sure we'll all discover how, how feeble our efforts were and that we could have and should have done much, much more for Christ. But, but believers do not need to fear the Lord's return. Believers do not need to fear facing their Savior. I'll admit as well that, 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 that we often allow fear to affect us when it shouldn't. In reality, fear reveals a lack of faith. Fear reveals a lack of mature love. When we are settled in the love of God as he would have us be, we are fully trusting in him. We're not lacking faith. We're not fearful of what life's going to bring us. So the saint who has experienced the fullness of this divine love this love from God in his earthly life will have no fear of correction will have no fear of loss of reward at the judgment seat of Christ can you imagine not fearing death can you imagine not fearing facing God how much more joyful and peace-filled would your life be if you weren't afraid of what would happen to you when you died. The next thing we see, verses 19 to 21, the character of this love. John is concluding his thoughts on love in this description. We'll just kind of take it one verse section at a time. Look at verse 19 where it says, He loved us because, uh, sorry, we, we love Him because He first loved us. See, He was the first to love us he is the great initiator had he not first moved towards us we would never have moved towards him and we cannot but love so good a god who was first in the act and the work of love who 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 loved us when we were both unloving and unlovely who loved us at such a great price and he has, been, he has been seeking us and he has been imploring us uh, to, 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 to take his love through his son's blood. He has condescended to plead with us to be reconciled to him through his son. Now that goes against our, uh, our selfish, self-serving attitudes. Uh, it would be impossible for us to love God if he had not loved us first. His love, this great love, was displayed and proven at the crucifixion of Christ, and he made the way for our salvation. He offers us eternal life. Had he not loved us, had he not given himself for us, we could never have loved him. We could never have had a relationship with him. And this love, what it does, it it, it it awakens in us a reciprocal love, a grateful love for, for him manifesting itself. And and the way it does that is, is, is in love for one another, love for the brethren. Our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, which is a visible thing, proves our love for God, who is invisible. I'm glad. If I can make a horrendous understatement, I'm glad that he loved me when I was unlovable. I rejoice in that such a great love was extended to me when I essentially rejected that love. I am thankful for the day the Holy Spirit revealed that love to me. After coming to the realization that God loved me through Christ, then I was able to love him back. He came looking for me. Well, Romans says, well, I was yet in my sin. He came looking for me. while I was still his enemy. He came looking for me when I was at war with him. That is God's great love. A believer who loves other believers also loves God. And in facing him as judge, he's simply facing somebody he loves. There's no fear in such an experience. Recognizes that his love for God originates in God's love for him. Look at verse 20. If a man say I love God and hated his brother, he's a liar. If a man says, he's really saying, suppose somebody says that I love God but that guy hates another believer and the guy's a liar. He does not love God. It's a very real hypothetical situation. Very simple. It needs not a whole lot of explanation. It's what we've heard before several times. You cannot be right with God if you're not right with another believer. We cannot love God and hate our brothers and sisters in Christ. There'll be times we may be angry with them. We may even be bitter towards them, but we cannot carry hate for others and love God. If that genuine hatred exists, then the love of God does not exist, and neither does your salvation. Verse 20 goes on, For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? See, the member of Christ, the believer, has much of God visible in them, so how then shall the hater of the visible image of God pretend to love the invisible, right? How 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 can you pretend to love God who you can't see and and not love the person who has the image of God stamped on them whom you can see? It's impossible for you to do that. It's impossible. To love God who you cannot see and hate your brother who you see every day. If we possess love for God, love for our brother will be evident as well. It's impossible again. It's impossible. You need to get that. It is impossible for you to love God and hate another believer. The love we have for God should be perfectly reflected in our love for others. One commentary says that the eyes are our leaders in love. Another commentary says seeing is an incentive to love. Another one says if we do not love the brethren, the visible representatives of God, how can we love God, the invisible one, whose children they are? We need to consider the magnitude of what John is saying here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This entire passage deals with this agape love, the love as God loves, the self-sacrificing love, the love whose sole interest is the object of the love doesn't refer to some casual concern for those around us but but this genuine sacrificial love the love that god has for us and if we are saved the holy spirit indwells us the love that he has for us produced by the holy spirit in us will come out of us to the rest of us if this love is not in you that means the holy spirit is not in you which means there is no salvation in you And look at verse 21. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. So again, we see a very very simple concept, very simple truth. Love for the unseen God can only be concretely expressed by love for one's visible Christian brother or sister this this is how the world sees God it says no n- nobody's seen God at any time okay but if you're saved you've got God living in you that's telling you to love you love the way God wants you to love they will see God in essence through the way you love one another see our love for one another isn't isn't optional it's it's something that 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 We can't choose to do it or refrain from it when we don't want to. We're not in the mood for it. We are commanded to love our brothers and sisters if we love God. Now, no doubt when asked, do you love God, of course, it's going to be resounding yes. Nobody would deny that they love God. But if you do, then you must love one another or your claim to love God is false. We are expected to submit to the will of God and that means to love one another. John thirteen thirty four and 35 again, Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Verse 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. How in the world will the world see an unseeable God they will see him by the way you love each other. That's how they see God. That's how they know you are his disciples. He who loves will do what the object of his love wishes. A husband who loves his wife fulfills her wishes. A wife who loves her husband fulfills his wishes see that's simple that's easy we can we can get that we can wrap our heads around that right a christian who loves their god will fulfill their god's wishes now let's wrap this up none again can doubt the love that god has for us christ he loved us enough to bear our sins, to die in our place. The world needs to see and experience the love of God, but that's only going to happen if it's lived out through his people. Now, surely you would agree that that more love would, would be of benefit to this crazy, messed up little town, right? Is your love what it should be? Do you love God As God would have you to? Are you as concerned about the condition of others as God is concerned about you? Have you experienced the love of God that casts out the fear of facing God in judgment? Are you ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you ready right now to die and face Christ? If you're not ready to face him now, And I would urge you to seek him as he deals with your heart, as the Holy Spirit convicts you either of your sin, believer, of not being loving as you should, or of your sin of disbelief, sinner, if you have never trusted Jesus to save you. You do not have to fear facing God. If you don't know Christ as Savior, you'd better be afraid. If there is sin between you and and your heavenly father, if you're saved and there is sin between you and your heavenly father, then yeah, you should be a little uncomfortable at the thought of of, of facing God with an, an, an unconfessed sin like that. But you don't have to be afraid. Let that sink in. You do not have to be afraid to meet God. And if you are, I beg you, I plead with you, do the work with God that needs to be done. Because perfect love, mature love, completed love will cast that fear out. Aren't you tired of being afraid? Aren't you tired of living in fear? Perfect love casts out fear. Stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed, please. Father, this morning we want to approach your throne with the confidence that your word says that we should, that we have you through our faith in Jesus Christ, that your love working in us, our submission to your will, our obedience to the leading of your Holy Spirit removes the fear the anxiety and the trepidation of looking you in the eyes. Father, may we live from that place of confidence. Lord, may your spirit fill us with that peace. Lord, for anyone here this morning that does not know Jesus as Savior, I pray that you would convict them of their sin, draw them to yourself, work until Christ be formed in them, that they can be at peace with you. Lord, for any believer here this morning that has gotten lazy in their love, that has taken for granted other believers, that has not been loving the way you say we should love one another, I pray, Lord, you convict them that they may, as your word says in 1 John 1, 9, confess it, agree with you, and forsake it. They can experience that restoration of fellowship with you. Father, I pray that you would work and that your will is done this morning. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Take your hymn book and turn to uh, 626. 626, it's a very simple song, very appropriate I think for uh, this morning. 626. we sing the first verse of Jesus Loves Me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Phil, would you close us in prayer this morning?
1: Father, thank you for the truths of First John and for the Apostle John that penned it, the Holy Spirit, inspiring him. Thank you that uh, you love us with a, a love that cannot be measured except uh, the only way that we can understand it a little bit is by looking at Calvary. Uh, And so, Father, I pray that that would sink in in 1 John 4 and that uh, we would take the love that you have for us, Lord, and and, uh, be burdened not just to love one another that are in Christ, but to love those that are uh, what we would consider unlovely, those that are Christ's enemies, the way that he loved us, according to Romans 5, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. So, again, thank you for this truce. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Uh, when we are completely uh, unworthy and unloving. But because of your atonement, uh, you've made us worthy in your sight uh, because of what you've done, nothing on our part. Thank you again. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Please
0: join us for fellowship afterwards.